if you change behavior 10%, think of your, like you're sailing from New York to Europe and you change course by 10%, you may end up in Africa. Yeah. And so little changes over time have big impacts. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm your host, Megan, and joined by Melissa. Melissa, it's been a hot minute since you've been on with me. I know. I'm so glad to be back. I know. Well, we took a little bit of recording break for July. So that's, I think, the reason for your absence. Doesn't it feel though like things, especially this summer, are just insanely busy in terms of work? Like I thought that the summer everyone goes on vacation, the judges are on vacation, attorneys are on vacation, but this summer, no, everyone is here in July and August and they're ready. They yeah. want to do things. So yeah. it, it's been insane. Yeah, I, I, maybe everyone's going on vacation in August. Let's hope. Yeah, I Let's mean. It, it's a long month. I think people are going away then. I, I already did my vacation. So I need people to go away in August so I can catch up because I haven't caught up yet. I don't typically do a June vacation. I did this year and I'm like, now I know why I do an August vacation because I feel like I need another. <laughs> we'll have to talk to our guest about this because I have a feeling she would have some tips. Yes. Yes, we should. So Nice segue, Melissa. So today, today we have on Sheila Murphy and Sheila's a coach, which is a, you know, I haven't had, I I don't think I've had on a coach with me hosting this, this podcast yet. Um, And, you know, they serve such an important role, I think, for people trying to make career transitions or client development, or just like, kind of like professional counselors, Um, you know, in, in a professional, like, that I bundled, bungled that, but I mean, she, she, she helps people like get work through issues and, you know, get to where they want to be in their careers or gain more clients or whatever it may be. So I, I think it's a great asset. So I, I wanted Sheila to come on to talk about, you know, how, how she can be a help to other lawyers and reach their, you know, professional goals. So with that, let's bring her in. Good morning, Sheila. Welcome to the Defense of Arrest. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm so happy to have, have you too. You know, a lot of times on this podcast, we talk a lot about claims and we talk to people in claims and we're kind of switching gears a little bit today. Um, I mean, you're a lawyer by trade, but now you've evolved into coaching and you coach other attorneys and professionals through, you know, career transitions and changes. And I, I'm excited to talk about that. But first, you know, I want to talk a little bit about I, I like to dive into how everyone got to where they are um, and everyone's path to either in claims or to, to practicing law or just to law school is all very different. So I'm curious what, what your path path was. I mean, did you, did you grow up in a family that your parents were attorneys or, or is it something that you just were, like me was like, I don't know what else to do with myself. So I'm going to do this. <laughs> I mean, I think like a lot of people, I read and watched To Kill a Mockingbird, and I also watched this old movie, um, Adam's Rib with Katherine Hepburn, where she was this female attorney. And it really did influence how I thought about what I wanted to do. I mean, I'm from a family of, um, on my mother's side, I'm the first one with a four-year degree. So it wasn't part of my pedigree to sort of think about law school as an option, but I sort of became passionate about the idea that there could be this strong woman who makes a difference. So, you know, 
what, when you went to law school, was it everything that you had thought it might be? I was so clueless. Like I was, <laughs> I had no idea. There were people who really either maybe because they had people in the profession, but they really were thinking about their careers. They were thinking about what they were going to do. The only thing that I decided that I wanted was to find a career where I wouldn't have to speak in public because I am sort of this ostrich person, a natural introvert. I, I don't like speaking in public. I have dyslexia, which hurts me with my pronunciation of words. And so I really strove to create a career where I would not have to speak in public. And then I got my first law firm job where I was supposed to be a corporate lawyer. Mm-hmm. And on day one, the managing partner came out and said, we have too many corporate lawyers. We need a litigator. And the litigation department wants you. And like, I was like, my heart sank. I was like, oh, this is awful. What am I going to do? Can I quit? And I was thinking, my parents will kill me if I quit on day one. (laughs) And so I went through this whole thing of feeling like an imposter um, in this litigation department. And so that was sort of my introduction to like trying to figure out how to do something differently where I wasn't comfortable. Yeah, I that story resonates so well with me because I, too, wanted to go into corporate law um, or real estate and at the because I was terrified of like speaking in front of anybody um, and even like I summered at DA's office and they were I was like oh no I don't want to do any of this they're like well why are you here I'm like well it seemed like a good job to put on my resume I don't know <laughs> and then when I graduated there were shocking there were no corporate jobs to be found so I ended up in litigation and I realized like did you come to a point that you got over the, those fears I would tell you, I love the strategy of litigation and I loved every other aspect except that speaking in public. And so then I went in-house and I thought, glorious, I will never have to speak in public again. Even though I'm in litigation there, I'm not having to go to court. And I I sort of had my aha moment when uh, one of my peers, and we'll call him Mike for now, (laughs) Mike got promoted and I was sort of shocked. I didn't know promotion was on the table. And to be honest, Mike wasn't a really good lawyer, but he spoke up in meetings. He spoke to people telling them what they were doing. Um, He cultivated a network. And I sort of had that moment where I was like, okay, I have to change what I'm doing if I want to succeed. Because it wasn't even just about me. It was about my client, the company, that they were not getting what I thought was the better advice from me, but rather from Mike, who wasn't that good. And so I really started on a journey of trying to change these things. So I get why it's hard for people. It's not always easy, but I will tell you, you know, and you've succeeded in this way too, that you can sort of change those behaviors and those fears and change the trajectory of your career. And by the time Mike left the company, he was reporting to me. And so it did change. And so I just like to tell people that, you know, because a lot of times people are like, well, this is just the way I am. Yeah. And so, and how I feel and I can't move to be any different. And you really can. Yeah. Sheila, where do you think that that comes from? Because I think that a lot of people experience that sort of, like you said, imposter syndrome and like the fear of public speaking. But for you, was it like public speaking in general or was it, specifically when you were a lawyer did you no it was always public because I I can remember in sixth grade having to do a report on Spain and I couldn't pronounce the words because they're not words that I normally came across and everyone kept saying that 
it's phonetic. You should be able to do this. And uh, for a lot of people who are dyslexic, they can't read phonetically and or hear phonetically. And that's why now that I even have trouble with names that I don't know even to this day. And so it was just so mortifying to me mm-hmm. that I just never wanted to do it. That's and when I, had, when I had to do it, I did it. You know, if I had to give an oral presentation in college because no one else was stepping up because I, the only thing that motivated me more was not failing, <laughs> was more motivating than my fear. But yeah. And how did you, like, how did you finally bust through that? I mean, I know your motivation to bust through it, yeah. but like, how did you actually do it? Because it, it's scary when you don't like to talk in, you know, in front of people. What I tell people when you're trying to change behavior, whether it's public speaking or um, maybe using a carrot rather than a stick, if you're managing a team or, or becoming more of an optimist is, you know, you, you can't go from zero to a hundred. You have to sort of take baby steps and celebrate those successes. So I started by talking at meetings and having all my notes written out. Mm -hmm. And then it went to bullet points. Then it went to um, being able to speak at a meeting fairly off the cuff. And then presentations came up and I still didn't sleep for nights, but I did them. And the more I did them, the more comfortable I got doing those things. And then I eventually had a really good sponsor once I sort of got the basics and was comfortable speaking who um, got me with a presentation coach because I wanted to bring more of me into what I was saying and less about the facts. I was very factual at that point and that you don't connect with people in that way. You have to open up about your story and everything else. And so she um, had me work with a coach to yeah. bring that that part of the skill that I was missing in. I kind of love that though, that how, how it was a gradual process for you. And it was probably a challenge every step of the way, but you kept, you were so determined to kind of get past this that you kept pushing. Cause it, I'm certain it was not easy for you. No, there are points where I remember saying, why am I, why am I doing this? And actually my name, my company is focus forward. And that was my mantra. Whenever I did feel stuck, like just focus forward. And then when you start getting positive feedback, it's easier to build on things. And I also tell people, like, if you change behavior 10%, think of your, like you're sailing from New York to Europe and you change course by 10%, you may end up in Africa. Yeah. And so little changes over time have big impacts. And so that's what, you know, you have to sort of think about it in that way, because we're, you know, we've all tried to go on a diet or an exercise regime where we go from zero to a hundred and it never works. So, you know, think about how you can chunk things up so it's doable so that you can start to see results and build on it. You know, at what point did you decide to kind of pivot out of, you know, your corporate life and to like start start your own thing? Well, as you know, I said, I started getting teams when I was in that. And what became apparent is I was really good at developing talent. And, you know, I had a reputation inside the company, outside the company with the organizations I was working with. Um, People on my teams went to, you know, higher leadership positions, both inside and outside the company. And so I was always put on whatever task force or committee. And I love this aspect of my job. I mean, I love practicing law, but I really love developing talent. Um, So as I was approaching a time where I was going to be, um, hitting my pension number, so to speak, I was lucky in that I had a defined benefit. A couple of years before that, I started thinking about like what I wanted to do next. 
if I, you know, did I want to stay there past that moment? Did I want to think about doing something else? And I really was being drawn to this talent thing. So I started to explore with my network what that could look like. And so I took baby steps in again, in trying to understand things because I am a lawyer. So we're, we're not the most risk, you know, risky mm -hmm. group that ever, you know, existed, but to start thinking about and exploring what a change could look like and how that could work. And so what were like your first real steps to, to making that happen? Well, I will tell you, having a network that I cultivated over, and this goes for whatever job you're in today, a strong network is like the number one indicator of success, no matter what you do, whether you're in claims, legal. Um, but having that strong network that I could go to and talk about, uh, I knew people, some people who had tried to do this, what did they learn? Um, and then I came up with a business plan for myself. And I did a little bit of a portfolio career and I had some different revenue streams coming in. So I really plotted out what I thought it would look like. Yeah. And I also started making sure that, I mean, I always spoke about talent and leadership, but that was really becoming my focus. And so to make sure that, my, that when I did this, people said, of course, this is what she's doing next. And that's what happened. I got a lot of notes from people saying that this really to them seemed like a natural transition, but it's, you know, you don't wake up and start a business or start, you know, something new. You really do need to think about um, how you want to approach the market, how you want your brand to be seen, and, you know, what's the value that you offer? And so, it, you know, whether, again, this is the same thing, whether you're in a company or you're an outside counsel trying to develop business, you're, you're, you need to sort of have a plan as to how you are cultivating your career. Like when you made the decision, like, did you talk about it? To anyone or were you like working on this plan in your head in the background and then kind of like came out with your your move to people and then my second part of the question what was what was what was the reaction of your friends and family um i would say i talked to a lot of people about this i mean i, I really did a lot of research and i mm -hmm. talked to i had some friends who were like don't do this you, you know you could become you know, a GC at a company, you should be doing this. And I, I will tell you until three years, I'm still getting friends sending me those positions. But this was, re I really made the, I, the thing that I wanted to do it. And so I did get, some people were really gung-ho about it, thought that this was really what I was meant to do. And then there were some people who were a little more cautionary because, you know, getting a steady paycheck is one thing, you know, launching a business, you're not going to have that paycheck. So you really do need to think about how, you know, your revenue, your marketing. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, from day one, like I said, I got a lot of responses from people who didn't know I was thinking about it. Like, of course you're doing this. This makes so much sense. How did you quiet the negative voice? I don't want to say negative, but the non-supportive voices. How did you sort of block them out and so you could continue on? And I would say it was two people very close to me that, were more like, do you really want to do this? And so that was hard because they were people who I trusted. You know, they were part of my personal board of advisors and people who I went to. And so I really thought through what their objections were. And I thought about the fact that, you know, to be honest, I had another option out of two law firms if I wanted to go back to the law that had sort of approached me. So I had a cushion. 
And I said, if I don't take this leap now where everything is lined up for me, I had also had someone um, offer me to work with as a coach with um, a group that she was already doing work with and she had business. So I had a cushion. I had um, a pension. And I said, if I don't do this now where everything is sort of lined up, I'm never going to do this. And I'm always going to wonder what could I have done? And so I decided that, you know, it was more important to me to live, you know, maybe live with the, if it did fail with the failure, then live with the not knowing, you know, what would have happened if I had pursued my passion. And that, that I think is something that I think drives a lot of people in both directions, like the fear of trying something new, people are like, oh, I don't know. I, I, and then also, but the fear of regret of not doing it. And, you know, and when, so right now when you're working with attorneys or professionals, you know, do you, do you have to work with them through those fears a lot when they're trying to walk through their own job transitions and career changes? Absolutely. There's, you know, a lot of fear, a lot of inner voices um, talking about judgment and perfection and, you know, all these different things that stop people from moving on and getting stuck. You know, I worked with one woman who was in-house and she just had stayed in a role. She'd been like a lot of people in-house, you, I hate to say this. Now and then you get the same, well, there may be a reorg in the future. And you know, that may be your moment or there may be this thing coming up in the future. And she kept waiting and she ended up getting two job offers really quickly with a significant, you know, I think it was ended up being close to a six figure jump in compensation. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. And she had one that was a little bit less than that, but both, you know, and she was just in shock. Um, and a lot of times what we're also fearful of is getting that information, like, and making that decision, like, what's the harm in trying, you know, I always say to people, you need to get the feedback so you can make an informed decision because a lot of times people aren't, willing to sort of say, well, we really see you as an individual contributor. We don't see you going up the corporate ladder or we don't, we see you as a counsel. We don't see you as partner material at this firm. And you need that information to sort of say, okay, this, I'm happy with that decision. And I, this is where I'm going to work and do things, or I'm going to change your opinion, which happens. I've had clients change how they're viewed in companies and law firms. Or they've decided, you know what, I'm going to explore someplace else where I may not be coming in with that baggage, but we still, in those cases, often have to work at some of the feedback because if you have certain what I'll call derailers, um, just going into a new company doesn't mean that they're they're fixed, mm-hmm. you know, and that behavior may come back and haunt you. And I've seen that happen too. Well, and that's, I actually, I kind of like jumped the gun a little bit too so like let's just back up um as to coaching okay so i think a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions or people have their own personal beliefs of what a coach does or a career coach does and maybe it's like um i feel like there there's like people don't totally understand because i don't think anyone's had a real conversation with the coach mm-hmm. so you know why don't you give us like a, a brief synopsis of like how, what do you do and how do you help people? And like, okay. why would someone need someone like you to be in their life? 
And let Besides me start just by that you're a lovely person. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs me in their life. Um, let me start with there are a lot of different coaches out there and a lot, and all really, I, most of them I think are very good, but everyone has a different approach. So if you are considering working with someone, I would recommend talking to a few and thinking about the chemistry and if their approach is right for you, because we all do vary in our approach. And I see myself as a coach consultant a little bit because pure coaching is really about talking to you and helping you develop your own strategies. And there is part of that and, you know, and understanding your fears and getting over them. And there is part of that in what I do. But I also be, I'd say there's a consultant part to me because of my background. Um, I also help people understand how to better position themselves for the next career step. So there is a lot of me also explaining how things work in the, you know, either in the legal or the corporate fields. And so how they can help themselves get to that next level. So in pure coaching, I might be talking to you about how you should prepare for an interview and you'll come up with the great ideas of how you're going to do it. In my world, we'll do some of that and then we'll talk. Uh, you'll have my, my template of interview questions for in-house people and we'll work through them and then we'll record and we'll do feedback and we'll work on the better way to use corporate terms in your answers mm -hmm. and how to most effectuate that or um, and similarly with like LinkedIn profiles or your brand mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of work where I'll be doing pure coaching to sort of cultivate what is your strengths what is your brand what makes you special but then when we're trying to put it out there now and then I have to help people and push them you know I, I often get oh I can't put that out there what will people think if I put that in my LinkedIn profile and it's you know interesting that I've had people then go speak to headhunters and they're like, yeah, the headhunters told me you were right that I need to up it up a little. And so there's those two aspects. So when I work with someone, you know, and again, depends what they're looking for. You know, if they're looking for a new role or if they're trying to figure out why they're not getting promoted and make themselves more um, executive material, it may be, or they maybe they've gotten some feedback on their derailers, their communication style. They're not business oriented. Um, it's you know we work on you know we work on those skills. Um, if you're a law firm, I often mostly work with people about business development. You know, most law firms, to be honest, don't invest in people for executive training. No, you know, right. they, they, they are, it's much less than elsewhere. Um, but the you know, so it's really also taking a client's perspective and working with people having been, you know, someone who has retained and hired lawyers. Uh, you, we work again through what's your, what's your brand? Who's your ideal market? First of all, who, because a lot of times attorneys who are outside counsel just market to everybody, you know, and without really understanding the needs of their clients. And so then, you know, and our time is our most valuable aspect, you know, or, or asset that we have. So I talk to people about, where are you investing it? How are you investing it? So that the return on that investment is bigger. So, you know, does going to the ABA tax council where everyone's outside council benefit you if you're trying to build a book of business? Or should you be cross-selling with your partners 
more and meeting more in-house counsel. So those are sort of some of the things. That was a yeah. very long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a common derailer that you see sort of popping up with attorneys or looking for new positions? Um, I, I was two different things. Like sometimes I what I hear from in-house attorneys is that they've been told that they're too risk adverse and not commercial enough. What does that so, mean? So that they only, they, 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 they see themselves as legal technicians. So they come in and say, here's all the legal risks and they don't work with the business to sort of come up with creative solutions. And they're looking for a zero risk and they're looking to push the business off. And they're not looking at it from a, they're not speaking the business's language. Okay. That's a common derailer so that their companies are like, oh, I can't promote you to deal with higher level business people if you can't have those types of relationships that drive the business forward or they don't see you as a valued partner. What I see in terms of um, looking for the next role, some of the common derailers are just the, you know, I would say getting comfortable talking about themselves understanding their value and making the commitment to doing it. And, you know, people will say they're going to um, turn around everything and do the documents and they're going to reach out to the people who we discuss and they're going to make these efforts, but it's really working on that mindset because they, they, there's always a reason why not. Well, it was Friday afternoon and the person was probably getting ready for the weekend or it's Monday and you know they're easing into their week and so I didn't want to call at that point and you know really I don't know the person as well as I thought I did I mean I had one woman tell me that um, one of her best friend's mother was a GC at a company and the woman had said to her daughter have her call me and the woman never did and I'm not going to say she would have gotten business but I happen to know that GC. And I was like, that woman doesn't say things she doesn't mean. You know, GCs are really busy. When they say they are willing to talk to you, you have to jump on it. But somehow this woman created a story in her head that, oh, she really, she was just being nice. Her own imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, yeah, they're just being nice. And so we start to create these stories in our heads as to, you know, what other people are thinking. We're all great fiction writers in our own minds, it seems. (laughs) Huge. We could we could figure out if we want to avoid something for fear of rejection, which, oh, no, I can't hire you now. Oh, that's horrible. I mean, think about that in the scheme of the things we go through our lives. Yeah, that is like nothing, you know. But I, I think sometimes a listener like that, there's like a, a fear to like make that initial contact. So you like you talk yourself out of it. You know, like it's just that 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 idea of picking up the phone or sending that email may cause someone so much anxiety that then they just work through like why it's a bad idea for them. And, and then like, we're like, okay, well, yeah, it's right. I, I, I shouldn't email them because it was a bad idea. I just told myself it was, so I didn't. And you do it for like a week and now it's too late. I should, you know, I can't yeah. do it now. It was over a week ago, you know, and yeah. Yeah. And so it's working through those fears and, you know, I, you know, even though I coach people through them, I have them myself. That's why I have a business coach and a career coach, you know, because that has been valuable to me 
in terms of making a difference in terms of, you know, now and then we all have these things we don't want to do or trying something new can be difficult. And so, um, you know, part of being a career coach is to you know, cheerlead people, but also be a truth teller yeah. in my opinion. And, you know, I will be your biggest champion, but I will also tell you the truth because I think you deserve the truth and that you're a mature enough person who should understand the implications of what you're doing or not doing. Because now and then we think, okay, I make a decision to do something, that's a decision. But if I just do the same old thing, that's a decision too. It's really called a career by default. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's appreciated because I, even from, you know, on like mine and Melissa's side, it's similar to like when you have clients and you you don't want to tell them only what they want to hear because that doesn't do anyone any good. Sometimes you need to give the bad news or give the opinion that might not be super favorable, but is the, you know, your opinion as to what should happen in this case or the outlook of exposure on this case, even though it might not be what that client may want to hear. Because if you just tell them what they want to hear, what's going to happen? You know, you're honestly, you're You're going to disappoint them when the result comes in with what you really thought. And then then you're really in danger. It's so funny when people think sometimes these voices are protecting us, they really aren't. They're actually putting you in a worse position. Yeah. I had this similar scenario happen just yesterday. I was in in mediation and I'm speaking with the client and I, I knew that the client wanted to go a certain way with the next step of the mediation. And they asked me what I thought. And I was like, look, I know what you want me to say is to hundred percent agree with you, but I can't agree with you on this. This is what I think is the next step. Of course I will do, if you really want to do that, I would, but what I think is this. Um, and I think they appreciated the, <laughs> the honesty. <laughs> yeah, I hope so at least, but I mean, I, I couldn't just agree just for the sake of agreeing when I, I thought the, another option was the better option in that particular scenario. As a former client, I agree. <laughs> I, I I want the opposite things because sometimes you do like all of us when we're in a case we get tunnel vision and so I do think you want to hear that that differing opinion and in fact my, internally I did not like my clients who just agreed with me um, because I found that troubling I'd rather have somebody push back on me and have a real discussion about an issue or a concern uh, because then I know that they have thought through everything um, I never like, you know, I know it might be easier just when, you know, this person will do whatever I say, but I, I found that troubling because I didn't yeah. think we always got the best results. Okay. So and you had mentioned, um, and I want to talk about this before you mentioned about like looking at your clients, like LinkedIn profiles and, you know, certain th- like things that help or don't help. And that, so are there any, cause I'm interested in this because I'm all over LinkedIn, Melissa's all over LinkedIn, you know, we're always like thinking about how our profiles are perceived and, you know, are there, from your experience, are there any things that, that you think particularly, particularly stand out on LinkedIn profiles for someone who might be seeking a career shift or might be trying to attract new clients or whatever it may be? Are there certain key things that, you know, you or is it an individual basis? I mean, there's some key things and they may differ a little bit from outside to inside councils. So for outside council, I see, and I see this with inside too, it, where people just put their title and where they work. And that to me is, and I, you, 
I don't know. I know that you, Megan, you don't do that, but uh, you know, I haven't seen Melissa's to yeah, say I that. I have more than that. <laughs> that yeah. So, but uh, people want to know quickly. We have a low attention span in this neo world. People need to know who and what you are quickly in that headline. And then people need to know in the about what you're really about. So who are your clients? What do you do? You know, don't tell me you draft motion papers. Who cares? Um, I mean, I, I would expect that. Um, so, but really a little bit more of the personality, a good picture, a good background so that you stand out. Um, and make sure that you're putting the information that entices a client to want to learn more in your about section. So, you know, giving a sense of how you would be to work with, what's your approach? When should I call you? What's your market? So again, when we were talking about your ideal clients, making sure that it's attractive to them. Um, for those who are in-house, whether in claims or, or someplace else and want to go up the corporate ladder, what is, I think, one of the toughest things for people to understand is... Um, the more, the higher you are trying to go, the less it is about your technical skills, your legal skills, your claim skills, and the more it is about your leadership mm-hmm. and your strategic initiatives and how you handle um, fun- cross-functional teams or how you bring new ideas yeah. and processes and improve things. It's more about leadership than technical skills. And a lot of times people focus on the legal skills. And you need to sort of expand that. And it's really critical for those who are looking to switch that you make it your LinkedIn look so that a um, recruiter can find you. That's one one thing. And also, if someone recommends you for a position, that someone looks at your LinkedIn, that it looks like someone they want to hire. You know, it's you know if they've got three names and one person has a really fulsome LinkedIn and two people don't, you know. I'm going to go with the person with the fulsome LinkedIn people, you know, now I'm going to hear from a lot from people. Well, we have bios. I go, but you know, you're now telling me I have to search a little bit more yeah. for you. And so, you know, clients are, you know, like everyone else, a little bit lazy. And so, but the other thing that is critical, and I think you do a nice job of this because you're really in the insurance uh, area, Megan, is like the podcast, you know, is of interest to your clients. So that's what you're promoting. So it's a value to the client. So that's something you want to do is, you know, 80% of in-house people now get their legal information from LinkedIn. You know, a lot of newsletters end in spam, a lot of other things happen. So when you are on LinkedIn and you are putting out information that is important to your ideal clients, like, you know, if you were an insurance attorney, but you're posting stuff about M&A that the firm is putting out or something, who cares? Um, you know, you want to attract your clients so they you are top of mind when they have a matter. And they may not, you know, the beauty of you know litigation is it doesn't happen all the time. And so you you do need to all of a sudden things happen. Like I know that I didn't have much in Alabama for years, and then all of a sudden I was having all these lawsuits in Alabama. So who was top of mind that I had in Alabama that I hadn't used in years? So it's having a strategy that attracts your client. So you're not just posting things to post it, you're mm-hmm. posting it with an intent. And and you know, and the same thing for people who are in-house trying to code a lot of what are, the, what are you posting? What are you talking about? What conferences do people see you at? What are the issues that are important to you? There are a couple of GCs who actually look to see if people are posting on, G, on leadership aspects. 
So it's something to think about. And I don't think that any of this is new, but the game has certainly changed. Like it's not, you know, it's not just networking. It, it's not just how good you are at your job. Like you, you have to complete this whole package, don't you think? To as So a prospective employer or, or client sees this package of a, a whole person. You know, I'm going to disagree a little bit. It is okay. part of the job. You know, you said it's not just how good you are at your job. This is part of your job. Part of your job is um, developing clients. Part of your job is servicing clients in such a way and giving them the information and the insights that they want to go back to you because they know your expertise and what you do. And the same thing for the in-house people. They, you know, the job when you get hired is managing teams, managing a budget, looking for ways to be more efficient. You know, we think about, a potential recession and you're in-house, you have only a few levers in terms of how you reduce expenses and still give people raises. And so when people come up with innovative ways of, you know, maybe look, you know, doing quicker first assessments or doing something differently to reduce those expenses so you can keep headcount, that makes you stand out. Because those are the types of things when you're heading up a group, whether it's claims or litigation or the whole law department, those are the types of decisions you have to make as well as sort of develop talent. So it is part of the job. And I think, especially for those of us who um, grew up in law, now and then, you know, everyone like give us a nice pat on the hat. Our, our parents are so proud we graduated law school. And, um, you know, it's a little bit hard to realize that it, it may be broader what we need to do to do our jobs. Yeah. Are there any specific um, types of you know, legal specialties that you're seeing um, an increase in terms of job openings. Uh, you know, because it seems like the job market just in general is kind of funny right now. There's a lot of um, industries that are in need of people. What what does it look like right now for the, the legal industry? I would say there's been a so, real softening from law firm hires. So you're not you're seeing law firms sort of saying this because there's less transactional work happening, which was drove a lot of the talent wars. Um, the in-house market is still good. There's been a slight softening, but it's still good. I do think at some point you're going to see a trickle effect over there. Um, a lot. I mean, a lot of need for privacy, employment, AI people are looking at as a nucleus, meta, um, ESG. These are, you know, sort of the newer areas that I'm seeing a lot of interest in. Um, you know, there are a lot, tend to be less litigation spots, I will be honest, in terms of in-house. Um, pharmaceutical biotech is very strong right now, too. I know that I ended up in litigation because I came out of law school in like a bad economy and litigation was the, the only job to, to find. Do you, do you see that trend now, too, or is it too early to tell? I think it's too early. I think what's we had seen happen is the transaction, a lot of the law firms started paying a lot of money for mm. transactional lawyers. I know it's crazy. And it was nuts. And so what happened is you didn't have that natural, tr- you know, attrition from some people leaving outside firms to going to in-house, which led to sort of this talent, you know, deficit in-house. Um, I think you're going to start to see some of that switch. And I do think, you know, when it, you have a, Traditionally, when you have not a great economy, litigation and you know bankruptcy does better. And so I do think you will see start to see some of that switch. But at the same point, people are just trying to um, 
I'm hearing a lot about hiring freezes, travel freezes from some, you know, some companies right now, because I think they're trying to figure out um, between inflation and a possible recession, you know, how they're budgeting for next year. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and to be honest, everyone's still a little frightened of another winter COVID, you know, right. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I personally, I mean, I don't, I, can you listen to the advisors and do what's there, but I'm a little over it myself. Yes. <laughs> a little over it. I'm like way over it. I'm like, I'm just done. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> just thinking about the idea of another surge was like, oh, no, no. I, I can't, I can't think about it. <laughs> no, I, 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 I put it in my back in my head and I'm trying to have a very active goal and then, you know, hope that hope for the best. Yes. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the, you know, people who are already established in their careers, like people who are already, I want to use the term professionals, like they're already there and they're in it. They have the experience, you know, do you work with like new experience and people breaking out of law school and not breaking, well, yes, technically breaking out of law school. I guess that's a good way to put it, (laughs) but kind of like a prison. Yeah. (laughs) Um. I, I I have a few more junior clients, I will say, but most of my clients are a little bit more senior. I think people are so overwhelmed when they start working with a law firm, working on their technical skills and developing them. But I do have a few of what I would say um, clients with very long-term visions for themselves who have started working towards their long-term plans earlier. And so... Um, they are very focused. They know where they want to go in five, six, seven years. It's not a short term. And they um, have some short term goals, but they have already started to focus on both either how do they develop a book of business or how do they get to G6. And so it's, you know, I think it's really smart because sometimes people don't look at, especially um, becoming a developing a book of business a lot of firms don't encourage people um to do these things until i think it's a little too not too late but it becomes a panic you can do a lot of this foundational work much earlier in your career with with or without the firm support and that's something people have to think about so that as they approach it it doesn't become an overwhelming um task i've had you know clients who are approaching that the decision on partnership or becoming a partner and the rules change. Like they were told, don't worry about business, don't worry about business. And then they're asked for seven figures um, in a year or two and the the panic. Whereas if they had worked on some of the foundational steps ahead of time, it would, it would ease their mind. So it's, you know, thinking about how you, are you someone who likes to pull the oil lighter or are you someone who likes to get things ahead of done ahead of time if you're young in your career yeah but I would still encourage you to start talking to people about what the path looks like and what they would have maybe done differently if they had known Um, because I think it is helpful to at least do a lot of that network building and cultivation early on because that takes time building relationships don't just happen when you need them you yeah. know, we see, we see that all the time. I will say one thing that I, I would, I always wish I had done more of in college and in law school is really work on the network. And I didn't do enough of that 
and for no real reason I just didn't know any better I think <laughs> like and now I look back at it and I was like I had like a really good friend in college who always was working on her network. And I would like, was always like, why is she doing this? Like, just have fun. Like, why is she keeping in touch with that internship person? Like, and now like she has climbed the corporate ladder to the, to an extreme extent. And I was like, Oh, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) I know the earlier you do it, it's a habit. And it just becomes part of your life. Like people talk to me a lot about how I keep up with my, and it, it, I'm just so used to doing it that I don't even think about it anymore. It's not like I, you know, have to, like people, you know, when you're trying to teach them how to do it, you, you, it seems like a big lift, but if it becomes part of your life, it's not so bad. Um, but yes, it's, yeah. And, but you can go back still. There's, you know, people build big networks at really different times in their lives. And um, one woman I'm working with who didn't have one, and she was, you know, over 40, 45, 50. And she really put a lot of effort into it. And now she has a really incredible network. But she was very intentional with the steps that she was going to take and how she was going to, because it's not just about meeting people, but having them get to know you so they know your brand. And also being there for that person. It's not a one-way streak about just take, take, take. Mm -mm. It's about give, give, give. Yes. I mean, think about like, think about in in friendships, right? If you're in a friendship and your, your friend is only taking, you get kind of annoyed at that friendship. You're like, why why am I here? (laughs) Like, I'm not, I'm giving a lot, but I'm not getting anything back. It has to be a give and a take, you know? Um, and you know, one thing I've noticed going back to like building the network is, or what I've gotten over is the fear of reaching out to people within my network. I, I, I have no qualms about reaching out to someone because the worst that can happen is they say no. And I'm always like, and, and on the flip side for, I know personally, I'm always hope like willing to help someone if they reach out to me. I'm not talking vendors who are trying to sell me nonsense. Like, I mean, like someone who was like, Hey, like I'm looking for a job. Do you know someone here? Or Hey, like I, I love to do that for people. And I mean, that's the whole point of all this. Right. So yeah, Yeah, we all rise together. Yeah. And so that's how my approach is. And that if I can help you, I will. And I think that's how most people are. But again, it's also like you said, not vendors. And it depends what people want. If they want an, intro, you know, if they're at a law firm and they want an introduction to my client or someone I know just to sell them, maybe not. But if they want to get to know them and they're going to offer them a panel position or they want to talk to them because they want to see what they're seeing in the market, I'm okay with that as long as they, you know, are being upfront with me about how they're going to also make the relationship both ways and add value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's the the key point too, is adding value. I mean, I I think that's the key theme to everything you've said, like, you know, have your network add value. Your brand has to add value to who you're trying to attract. You you need to add value to the people in your network. Like you can't just be like, you know, a a dead stick on the end of a branch, you know? And it's not, and it's not just business value. It can be personal value. You know, people, um, and often think about, well, I don't know how I can help someone who's a GC. Well, maybe you could, maybe you're at a big, you're at a firm and that you do a women's history month and she's a woman and she would, she would love to have something 
her, you know, she's trying to raise her profile for some reason. You know, you can do that for someone. You can find ways. You can, you know, see an article about a place she's going to on vacation that has a list of the best restaurants. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be show that you're listening and you care. Now, one thing that comes to mind, though, like, you know, we're talking a lot about building your network and being there for, for people. Mm-hmm. And, but how do you set the boundaries so that part of you isn't spilling over to your personal life? And so you, you have some, like, you can't be all work all the time. You need to have no. set some boundaries. So what kind of advice do you give to your clients about setting those boundaries? Because it's a lot to do, right? And I, like, it can get overwhelming and can take over. Well, what I try to tell people, again, time's your most valuable asset. So use it wisely. And one thing that I do for networking is how can I hit as many people as possible who I want to get value, who I want to see again. So for example, I have a lot of people who used to work for me who I adore. And, but we get together a couple of times a year for a dinner. So I see all eight or nine of them at that dinner. And to be honest, it's a lot more fun than if I was doing, you know, one-on-ones because everyone is interacting. Um, if you are at a law firm and you're trying to cultivate, you know, can you bring together people who are like-minded so that, that you know, that it's a special event for them, which I'm going to also key in on that word special because I'm putting now things have to be more pants worthy. What I am seeing in the, the market is less people showing up at conferences and events unless it's pants worthy. Um, and also people are in the office less. Um, yeah. So is there a way I could get, you know, a lot of women in claims litigation together for a nice lunch or dinner or a virtual happy hour? And then it's one event. And, you know, rather than seven phone calls, um, do people, the other thing I saw a lot during um, the pandemic was people get, you know, putting together alumni groups. So um, let's say, and I don't, you're, you represent ABC company, insurance company, and a lot of them have left to go into different insurance companies, but you used to have a core team there of five that you really work with. You got those five people, whatever companies they are together, together, and they're happy because they want to see each other and catch up. But now you've talked to people who are now three or four different companies. You know, so how can you give value to people and sort of try to bring these events, you know, bring people together to lessen, you know, and, you know, and I keep a list to track who I am speaking to and who I owe a phone call to. And I also, for some people, it's just, you know, a LinkedIn message, you know, if they can't, you know, you have to, in your mind say, you know, what is the investment in this person? And, you know, sometimes people just need, you know, some affirmation on their LinkedIn post and that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do love that phrase pants worthy. Like that's a good defining thing. Like, is this, is this, thing I'm going to is it worth is it worth me putting on pants <laughs> well and from a business development perspective too is this you know is this you know pants worthy in terms of is it really going to help me help yeah. my client get my find my ideal is this where my ideal clients are going and hanging out you know for you know in the same you know pants worthy yeah yeah it's my new favorite phrase <laughs> You're on a court. Has it pants already? I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, pants, court, I would say, you know, <laughs> y- having seen some of those Zoom things where people decided not to get dressed or take, you know, take it in bed, I would say probably for court, things are pants worthy. But I would, I would think so. I would think so. 
but people are seeing lower attendance at events and it's mm-hmm. well there is some of the thing from the code from covid a lot of it is also people aren't used to going to events they have less time there's a lot of team building and it also has to be yeah. something that is going to benefit them more right now I, yeah. I think people are a little more conscious of how how they're utilizing their time now i think after the last two and a half years or so of this like i think we're really conscious of how we utilize our time for things like i've had that same readjustment like i used to go to a lot of conferences and i'm like you know what i don't know if the conference is worth my time and i don't think it's worth the money for me to attend this i think there's a better way i can you know connect with people than going to a conference or flying across the country to have a lunch maybe it's not worth the time or the money i think there i can have that same connection in another another way i think people are just reevaluating how we we do things and and i think it's good although i miss some of those things conferences are fun lunches are fun, right, right. Are fun. but if you go to conference be intentional find out who yes. at least look at the speakers make sure you book a coffee or something so you do it you know but be a little bit more intentional and discerning in terms of how you're spending your time yeah. or have it be a conference that you're actually interested in what right. is being spoken about i mean i feel like i used to approach conferences being like who is there and who can i talk to and and i didn't really attend any of the things and unless it was something i was speaking on or i had a friend you know whatever right. it may be right. and approaching it in a different changing our mindset how we walk into those scenarios i think you get a different result when you when you leave yeah i agree and I, and I do think there is been this total mind shift in how people are viewing their time and viewing value. Yes. Yeah. I think we've all realized time, even maybe we never didn't occur to us that how, how valuable time is to us when, I don't know, maybe because we had a lot of it for a while when we all were yeah. all there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but my aha I was living mostly in my uh, apartment in New York City pre-pandemic, and I really didn't think of all the coffees I was doing as part of building this business. Yeah. And people are like, well, it's in New York. Well, no, it's, it's a half hour on the subway. You get 45 minutes because you want to. And what I realized during the pandemic is I got a day back, mm-hmm. literally from all the commuting time. And I'm not saying I wouldn't still do some of those lunches and some of those coffees, but a day back to actually do some work. Um, that's valuable. And so you, it's really thinking about how you're spending your time. And it doesn't mean those people aren't important. It just may mean a different way of communicating with them. And just you reprioritize how you're scheduling things a little bit too. Like at least I, I've done it with my own schedule. Like I have certain days, like these are days that I work on you know, podcast stuff. These are days that I work on case stuff. Unless there's something that urgent that needs to happen on a podcast day, that's that I corner out that day for that type of thing because these are all these things take time and they're all valuable. I just have to be more uh, cognizant of how I'm doing it. No, no, and it's because I I said pre post pandemic I'm spending most of my time at my beach cottage, oh, and so wow. when I go into the city, well, we can talk about the difficulties of being on a barrier island with no cars and no <laughs> stores during the winter. Uh, <laughs> um. um <laughs> And, but when I am in the, in the city, then I, then I'm very cognizant of making sure that because I can't, you know, I can do zoom anywhere that I'm not, I'm doing the in-person stuff and I'm really very booked during those times. Yeah. Um, well, 
we are just about out of time, but I wanted to close with this. You know, you've had such great success to get where you are, but, you know, looking back at where you, where you started, would you give your younger self some advice um, to make it a little bit easier for you? I would have started, and similar to what you said about the college um, thing about starting to build the network, I would have started thinking about building the career a little bit earlier and been a little bit more strategic, Mm -hmm. you know, and thoughtful. Um, I could have had a better impact for my clients and myself if I had taken some of those steps earlier. And, you know, and that's important for people to realize it's not always just about your career, which is important because it is your life and it enables certain freedom and flexibility, the more successful you are, but it also impacts others and the impact you can have on on an organization, on a team, um, when the right people are in those positions. So, you know, thinking about those things earlier, I think is important. I think that that's great advice to, to yourself and to any, anybody listening <laughs> in the oh, early in their career, mid career, late career. I think it's great advice. And that's the thing. It's never too late. No, no, it's never. Um, so Sheila, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you let our, our listeners know where they can find you? Should they, they need some coaching or just, they might have to bounce mm-hmm. some questions off you. I, I invite them to get in touch with you. I'll be happy to link if you can link in with me, Sheila Murphy slash focus forward, or you can visit my website, www.focus-forward-consulting.com. It's going to be updated soon. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll know when the whole update comes. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, and for everyone listening, as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrest on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on YouTube at TDNR Podcast.